Hi, it's Jim Walker, and you're listening to the $2 Me. <laughs> this is Jim Walker, and you're listening to the $2 Late... God... Hi, this is Jim Walker, and you're listening to the $2 Late Fee Podcast. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. I guess I should have known from the beginning it was going to be one of those days. His name is... Jerry Mitchell. Hi, Jerry. 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 Hi, I'm I'm Jerry Mitchell. I'm with the school paper. He just met the new kid in school. The guy's the closest thing to Charlie Manson ever seen at Weaver. Now, we're going to have a fight today after school. He's got six hours to get out of it. It's been quite a morning, Jerry. You can say that again. Jerry's got a lot on his mind. Ten seconds. But he's not thinking about math or English. Five seconds. Because at three o'clock, he's going to make history. There isn't going to be any fight today! I want you to understand something, Jerry. I don't like people knowing about me. In fact, I don't like it when anyone knows about me. So you can take that paper of yours and wipe off your dick with it. <laughs> um, that was that from way. the uh, Trump's press conference this morning. <laughs> yeah, I was going right? to say, this is how he uh, treats his reporters. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to $2 Late Fee, everybody. Right. It's the after school special edition of $2 Late Fee. You wipe your dick off with it, Jerry. <laughs> What a good um, quote. Hey, Dustin, how quote. you doing? It was it's, good. This is our second episode uh, recording remotely, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, I feel great about it. You know, we're still in a pandemic. Uh, obviously, that's not good, but uh, I got good some groceries it. yesterday, yeah. so that's exciting. And uh, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, brave new world. And we're just surviving. And I think um, this episode is kind of perfect and appropriate for what's going on today. Because it's not about, it's about dealing with the shit that you got going on in your life and and what's the best way to handle it. And, um, you know, whether it be a bully or a pandemic uh, or or president. (laughs) It won't matter, right? It it won't matter. It won't matter. (laughs) Oh, man. I tell you what. I. I have had that song in my head ever since, like, for, for the past several weeks. Well, it pretty much always is. But now, um, you know, just singing it on a regular basis. And today we'll be talking about that song. But before we get into any of that, we should probably tell everybody what movie we're going to be talking about and yada, 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 and introduce our special guest. Sure. So welcome to $2 Late Fee and with Zach and Dustin. And today we are talking about... The 1987 cult classic, Three O'Clock High. And the song 
Something to Remember Me By by Jim Walker, a good friend of the show, and we'll get into that later as well. Uh, but first, before we get into any of that, Dustin and I, we do this show solo, uh, well, together, but occasionally. Together alone. Hashtag together, together alone. alone. <laughs> That's actually a great song title. Yep. But then we some we, occasionally, more to the point, once we had a guest on our show, your awesome brother, Lance, when we talked about Fast Time to Ridgemont High. And so we thought, well, you know what? Let's do this one more time. And we've got a special guest with us today. He is a public speaker and an author uh, of a book series called What 80s Pop Culture Teaches Us About Today's Workplace. And his name is Chris Clues. Chris, welcome to $2 Late Fee. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm super excited. I think since the first time that we connected, uh, I believe on Instagram, when you guys were uh, kind of just getting started, and I've wanted to be on the show ever since. So this is awesome for me. Right on. Oh, well, welcome. And by the way, when you were talking about the pandemic and everything else, uh, two days, two nights ago, I watched one of my favorite movies, which is not an 80s movie. Uh, when we want to talk about uh, a great quote, okay, so uh, the scariest environment imaginable. Thanks. That's all you got to say. Scariest environment imaginable. And uh, it was, of course, Armageddon. So that's one of your favorite movies. Armageddon. I love it. <laughs> I think it's so much fun. <laughs> With, I don't know. with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck, that Armageddon. Oh yeah, Owen Wilson and Steve. Animal Buscemi crackers and... being being dancing yeah. across Liv Tyler's arm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> you want it? And, uh, okay, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm wow. going to tell you right now that I've never seen Armageddon from beginning oh, to end. Just fantastic dialogue, fun movie. Um, really, actually, surprisingly great cast. I mean, if you think about it. Oh yeah, Bruce Willis, it, Owen Wilson, Michael Clark Duncan. That was the peak of. Yeah of Michael Bay and just back then that thing was huge. It was huge. Yeah. But yeah, it was um, great. Sorry to digress, but it was a huge no, movie. No, no. No, no well, it's <laughs> it's not in the eighties, but I suppose we can talk about it. <laughs> and Chris, yeah. get get used to digressions because um yeah. whether it's me or, or Dustin, we're that's all we do and that's what that's, that's what do. makes our show so so damn good, I think. So <laughs> Well I talk about in my books, I always have digression alerts in my books well, because I just I do the same thing. Speaking of books, <laughs> nice segue, right? Wait a minute. I just uh, want to say, just just to go back to Armageddon for a minute. So Armageddon yeah. <laughs> is in like your top five movies of all time? No, it's not. Okay. But okay. if I okay. just want something fun to enjoy and I don't want to think a whole lot and I want to be entertained okay. and I want to laugh, um, yeah, great. I so, it. so it didn't make you feel like end of the world. It felt appropriate to you as opposed to like, oh, man. We're all gonna well, die. No, and, I, and I'm, I'm a really positive person, so I'm just kind of I go with the flow with a lot of stuff. Cue, uh, I, I'm not gonna. What's the song? I'm not gonna close my eyes. <laughs> oh, I don't want to close. <laughs> don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, babe. Yeah. Yep. Oh, come yep. on, that that song was huge back then. I I remember wanting to slow dance it, to it, but it not was. having oh, someone to slow dance with. Um, God, why is that always a theme for you? I don't understand. Couple you didn't couple love yourself skate. enough. I do a couple. I did not. I did not have. I did not have self love back in the day. Because uh, because Jackie Lee was around, you didn't want to dance with her, and you were like, "I'd rather dance with anyone but you." Yeah, but I mean, it's Chris, like you don't Chris, know what you, you got till it's gone. If you don't know who Jackie Lee is by now, uh, <laughs> this is going to come back to haunt me someday down the road. You know, when people are like probably anyways. in a good way though. Yeah, a good a good haunting. <laughs> but, Chris, your your books, yeah. uh, you okay? Because so, 
here's the deal. When you when you reached out to us and you said, hey, you know, I got these books too to promote. I thought, you know what? This is really cool. Like and there's a lot of 80s books out there. There's a lot of books about 80s history, pop culture, yada, yada, yada. But you kind of took it, uh, you, you twisted it a little bit and made it more practical for, uh, more practical for everyday living, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I knew two things really well, 80s pop culture and the business world. I'd been in corporate marketing for 20 plus years. I grew up in the 80s. I love the 80s. I still love the 80s. I don't have the fashion or the haircuts from the 80s, which is a very good thing. But I still love the music and I love the movies. Arguably. And the television. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had a rat tail. I had a mohawk. I, oh, I did yeah. it all. Yeah, I did yeah. it all. It's really, really bad. Parachute pants, members only jackets, the whole nine yards. <laughs> I still have my Vans, though. I still wear Vans. I love Vans. I yes. think Vans are one of the greatest yep. brands. But um, yeah, I so I put the two together. I was actually at home one day and I was watching The Breakfast Club and I was kind of having a self-pity party of one. My job wasn't going real well. And Bender says, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I kind of sat up and I thought, man, I'm in my imperfect place. What am I going to do to put my screws back in, the proverbial screws hmm. back in? And I thought about it in the context of the workplace. And I just put this article out on LinkedIn, what The Breakfast Club teaches us about the workplace. And people responded the next day I got up and there's all these, there are all these comments and likes. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And so I wrote one on Ferris Bueller and work-life balance. And I just, I kind of went from there. Um, there was a great movie, The Outsiders and Johnny Cade, one of the characters said, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And I was 47 at the time. And I really took that quote to heart that you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And I realized really cool. I do still have a lot of time. Yeah, Everybody does. So it's never too late to chase that dream, to chase that passion and to go for it. And so I, I, I wrote this book and I self-published it. I tell everybody the first one's about 85 pages. So depending on your time you spend in the bathroom, let's call it four trips to the bathroom and you can be done with the oh, book. Oh God, um, it's a one for four, me. Someone yeah. spends a lot of time in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, you know, your, your feet start tingling, that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. for a while. The um, deep vein <laughs> thrombosis sets in. Yeah. So four to five times to the bathroom, you should be good. And then the second one, I actually, when I wrote that one, I got a small publisher for it. And that one is uh, more meaningful to me in terms of the content because it's about 220 pages. So it's a, it's a real quote unquote book. And it has, each one has 10 movies and the lessons that we can learn from them. Cool. While I was doing the second book, I built a website and positioned myself as a speaker as well. And I started speaking using my vacation days from my job as the head of marketing at a, at a global company. I started using my vacation days to speak at conferences. And then the two started coming together and I thought, I have to make a decision here. And at the end of June, I left the corporate world with two books under my belt and um, speaking opportunities, speaking gigs. So you, you had your first book come out and then obviously you put out your second one and you've got some pretty rad endorsements too along the way, right? Like Diane Franklin, who is a personal friend of the show. Yeah, Diane wrote the forward, which was just so cool because she's so cool and she she's is so, so down cool. to she earth. Is. I mean, she is. for me, you know, I was, I think 16, 15 or 16, 16, I think when uh, Better Off Dead came out. So for me to actually be having these interactions with Monique from Better Off Dead, my 16-year-old self would just be like, wow, this is amazing. This this episode of our of $2 late fee is, is, is the beginning of our month of three o'clock high. And we have an interview with on the next episode with Jim Walker, who uh, performed, wrote and performed the song, the opening song to the movie. Uh, and and his connection to like random people that Dustin and I have either interviewed or discussed. Yeah, and Diane is a great example. 
you know, yeah. we, uh, yeah. uh, being able to, you know, you guys had her on an episode. She, she wrote it for my book. I mean, that's just, yeah, it's very cool. And it's, it's awesome to be part of it. Um, you guys do a phenomenal job. I love listening to the podcast. I'm, I'm really, again, I'm really excited to be on here Thanks. because I, you know, we've been corresponding for so long that I feel like, you know, it's too bad we don't live in the same cul-de-sac. I think yeah, totally. out. we'd be hanging out six feet away from each other right now. But yeah, right. You know. Well, three o'clock high, Dustin and I just rewatched it with our wives uh, the other night and both were saying like, damn, this movie still holds up. Um, totally. So <laughs> let's, let's kind of get into it. Let's get into three o'clock high, yeah. break it down, get your thoughts on it. Uh, our personal thoughts. Like I remember seeing this when I was a kid and just being so drawn to it and thinking like, why why do I love this movie so much? And I used to say, yeah. every time I would describe it to people, I'd say, this is not your typical high school movie. This is like, it's <laughs> the, the style, the direction, the cinematography, the the music, everything just felt different to me. Like, wh- wh- what do you guys think? What's it about? <laughs> How would you describe it? How would you For anyone it that hasn't seen it, what's it about? Yeah. Well, for anybody who hasn't seen it, story about this guy named Jerry Mitchell, who is kind of your everyday um, high school kid who gets up one morning, realizes that today is going to be one of those days and goes to school. He works at a, the student's store and kind of he, he, he's got like this cocky air about him. But then uh, as the day goes on, he's asked to interview the new kid, kid at school, Buddy Ravel, who has been labeled the bully and labeled the, the troubled kid. Um, and I'll let you guys describe it a little bit more, but he goes to interview the kid. Buddy doesn't like to be touched. He touches Buddy. Buddy wants to have a fight with him. And from that day forward, from that point forward, he has to find a way to get out of this fight that's scheduled for three o'clock in the afternoon. Hence the title, Three O'Clock High. And uh, hilarity ensues. Would yeah, you it's agree? a dark comedy. I think I, you kind of label it as like a dark comedy, but it does really hold up. You mentioned earlier you watched it, you know, for the first time in a while with your wives, and I rewatched it about a week and a half ago, and I realized how much it really does hold up. And there's a lot of lessons in it that we're going to get to as we talk about the movie, I'm sure. But yeah. yeah, he, you know, here's this kid who works in the school supply store, and for those who are listening that went to high school post, let's call it mid '90s. There probably wasn't, you probably didn't have a school supply store, uh, but back in the day, you could go there in the mornings and get your pencils, your erasers, your notebook, whatever stuff you needed that you didn't have, the cool alien eraser things that you put on top of your pencils, uh, you could get that kind of stuff there at the school store. You know, uh, Zach was talking about Buddy Ravel and sort of he's the new kid, he's the new bully, but his reputation has fully preceded him to these like epic levels where every student at school is whispering and the movie kind of starts with uh, every student is basically passing, you know, the story and it's getting increasingly scary about, you know, I heard Buddy like, you know, not that he killed a guy, but he like broke this guy's face and he did this. And the camera is doing this extra long shot just going from student to student to student. I love that. It's just like, it just yeah, goes and so then- beautiful. And then- you know, you see these various cameos, Yardley Smith, Lisa Simpson is just, you know, gives a line and then she passes it on. And then, you know, within maybe, you know, five minutes, you know that this Buddy Ravel character is like somebody that you don't want to mess with and you don't want to piss off and you certainly don't want to touch him. Uh, so we know that as an audience, like, 
before we even see Buddy. Buddy Ravel is, I think, the best bully, one of the best bullies ever, if not the best bully yeah. ever. And I'm going to totally get into agree. that. But that opening scene where they show him after everybody's been talking about him, kind of Ferris Bueller style, like you know when Ferris was sick and somebody saw him at 31 Flavors and he was dying and all that stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah. same type of thing. Uh, I just, when they show him the first time they show him, you just think, man, that that's a kid that we all had in every high school that you just, everybody went to the other side of the hallway when they saw him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine was, uh, Jerome Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Jerome Shaw was the kid at school who, if you said to him, Hey, Jerome, I think, uh, Alex Risenborough wants to fight you. He'd walk and just to set up Alex, he'd walk over to Alex and go, okay, meet me at the back of Seven Eleven. I'm going to kick your ass. And Alex is like, well, I don't want to fight you. And he's like, no, we're going to fight. And, um, you know, the, the kid who would just do violent shit. And at the time that was the one you're like, oh, he's a badass. Oh, look out for that guy. And I think at the time when I first saw three o'clock high, I said the same thing. I'm like, oh, buddy Ravel is, he's a badass. And like, he didn't take no shit. And then now watching it recently, I'm like, that, this this kid clearly was being abused at home uh, yeah. to some degree. He's always wearing the same, well, it's all in one day, but you see him the yeah. next day still wearing <laughs> the same outfit. Um, you know, looking like, looking all disheveled. And I have a lot of sympathy for him. And I think, you know, to, to, to reference an, on another 80s movie, Manhunter, um, oh, when... Really? when William Peterson's character is talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the murderer, the serial killer. And he's like, as a boy, I have so much sympathy for him, but as an adult, I'd want to, you know, blow him out of his socks or something like that. Um, it's the same idea. Like as a, not blowing, you know, killing blow him shooting. out of his socks. I think that's the uh, line. Yeah. I want to blow him out of his socks. I think that's the line. Blow me where the sure. Pampers is. <laughs> can you but yeah no as a kid like i feel like what happened to buddy you know he's he's super complex i was just going to say to the point about buddy Ravel being a sympathetic character that um jerry basically agitates him in the bathroom like he's just taking a piss and then jerry's yeah. like hey i want to interview you uh while you're taking a leak and now i'm gonna touch you and like you're like oh <laughs> Yeah, you, you fucked up, Jerry. Like, you don't do that. Yeah. And that seems very obvious watching it now, you know, as opposed to just, like, why does this guy have it out for him? Uh, it's just, like, there's these unwritten rules of, like, of like, well, you touched me, so now we're going to fight. And, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to get you under your bed. I guess we can probably, we'll play that clip. Made me mad, Jerry. Now I'm going to have to do something Work it off. Work it off? You and me, we're gonna have a fight. Today, after school. Three o'clock in the parking lot. You try and run, I'm gonna track you down. You go to a teacher, it's only gonna get worse. You sneak home, I'm gonna be under your bed. You and me, three o'clock. Makes him larger than kind of a science fiction uh, bully in a way. Um, and even to well, the point where, yeah, you know, it's yeah, like Jerry and... is trying to, to escape and he can't cause buddy has disabled his car. Somehow he knew what car Jerry drove and, you know, 
Uh, so I love I love that tone where it's like we're, the movie stays in reality, but it also takes some liberties as far as exaggerating things. That well, I think he was able to spot his car because what did the license plate say? Like Supermom or something like that. <laughs> so so yeah, a lot of that opening scene was lifted from his life, right? And that he went went back and reshot, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and he said he was like, I was the awkward kid in school. I mean, I think that's probably why I related in in a weird way. Like my brother was full of anger and I was always trying to calm him down and, and, uh, and avoid kind of confrontations. And so I looked at both characters and I was like, I can see a little bit of myself in all of these people. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's kind of like the breakfast club. I think when you, you know, we see those five characters, but there's a little bit of each of those characters in all of us too. Well, and, and this, this movie, like originally, apparently, um, uh, Corey Feldman was considered for the lead in this film, which I cannot see for the life of me. Uh, th- you know, I can't unsee Casey Shamasco at all. It would have been so hammy. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I think it would have totally changed the tone. Yeah. Right. But um, just to run down the cast, Casey Shamasco plays Jerry Mitchell. And if you don't know who Casey Shamasco is, I, I remember him fondly from Young Guns specifically. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and is then, it pronounced Shamasco or Shamash Shamashko? I believe it is Shamash Shamashko. I did. I did it just is Shamasco. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, Shamasco. Uh, according Shemashko. to yeah, according to a couple of places. I apologize. Shamashko. 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 Yeah, and um, Shamashko rolls off the tongue. I think it. Richard be. Tyson plays Buddy Ravel, and I love Richard Tyson. Fun fact: uh, I lived my first place in Santa Monica was near a bar called JP's and Richard Tyson used to hang out there all the time. And he would get people, if people recognize him, they say, Oh, are you that guy from something about Mary or kindergarten cop? And cause a lot of people hadn't seen three o'clock high and he'd say, yeah, uh, do me a favor, touch me. And then he'd say, I don't like people touching me. Now you got to buy me a shot. So <laughs> <laughs> works. Yeah. Right. He was also in black Hawk down. As well. That's right. Yeah. Oh, he had a great role in that. Yes. Yeah. I, I love Richard Tyson. And he was on one of my favorite uh, 80s cop shows called Hardball, which uh, <laughs> very underrated. It only lasted for like six episodes or something. Um, you've got Jeffrey Tambor, who plays the, the the owner or manager of the school store. I guess he's the owner of the school store. Um He's a teacher that's responsible for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to own it, that, that would imply that the school store is separate from the school. Yeah. Right. And I didn't Which have a could. school store growing up. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, like, yeah, it's got to be, it's run by the school. And well, if you're interested in starting a, a school store business, <laughs> I'd advise not to. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, not at this right. time. Not at this time. Yeah. No. And then Philip Baker Hall is the detective in the movie. Uh, I mean, Philip Baker Hall kind of plays the same character in all his films. Uh, I, I mean, I loved him in Boogie Nights. Uh, that's where I, specifically identified him now uh, obviously back then i didn't and then john p ryan plays mr o'rourke who's the principal of the of the school and i'm watching and i'm going holy shit he's in best of the best i love best of the best john p ryan's in that then there's a little connection there and you know um and then to round out mitch Pileggi plays the duker who's like oh, the head of awesome. security he's so great he's so great and then yeah uh, Annie Ryan plays Franny, who's kind of like Jerry's buddy, 
who wants to bond with him. We'll talk about that in a second. And uh, and then Stacy Glick plays Bree, his his little sister. Um, and then Jonathan Wise plays Vincent, who kind of. Do you think Vincent was the, responsible for getting Jerry involved in all of this? Seems like it. Uh, Vincent is the what is he? He the editor like the head of, of the, the, of the paper. Newspaper. The, yep. the you know, editor in chief of the school newspaper who assigns Jerry the yes. assignment of interviewing Buddy. And um, and then you know should probably lead with like don't touch him, whatever you do don't touch him. <laughs> then he touches him. He didn't and, do enough uh, research, right? Yeah. Well, it was one of those things. He wasn't he wasn't in, intending to see Buddy in the bathroom. He was just going to the bathroom. Uh, there's a lot. He's in the bathroom a lot, is what we noticed. That there's a lot of yeah. scenes in the bathroom. Like anytime there's like some stress, it's like oh, I gotta go to the bathroom, and that's where you know. All pivotal scenes happen in the bathroom. Yeah, so like I said, he could have read he could have uh, read my first book during the movie because yeah. he was and, in the bathroom. So oh right, me. right, he would have <laughs> yeah eighty five pages he would have easily covered easily. Uh, we know there was a guy in the cast. His name, the guy who wore the red beret, his name was Theron oh, yeah. Reed. Yeah, hmm. but he was so good, and I looked for other movies that he was in, and there just really wasn't like this this climb that you would anticipate because he he had very few scenes but each scene he was in he owned it i felt like i mean every character in this movie has a really fun moment where they all kind of stand out and you go i mean they're so well crafted or maybe it was my wife she said you know do you remember your security guard and i said yeah actually he became the bailiff on judge judy so uh <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is like that's quite a step up in pay scale for uh a guy who's in Cupertino, California, back in the day. So, but then, oh, we can't, we got to talk about the three. So, obviously, the three women in his life, um, Franny being the one who wants to bond with Jerry, but then there's his teacher, Mrs. Um, Farmer. Yeah, Mrs. Farmer. <laughs> and then, and then Karen, she's always popping up in every scene, like just kind of clueless to what's going on, not even caring to what's going on around her, but it's all about her. Yeah, she's the pretty girl. She's the one yeah. that, you know, he can't even count change around because he gets so nervous. And I used to I used to ask girls when I would, maybe this is the reason why I had such a hard time dating. I'd say, uh, do you do you write in bed? Because they, the whole line of where he wants to give her a pen and, she, and he's like, you can even write upside down in bed. And she's like, I don't write in bed. <laughs> so I'd be like, hey. And so you, you, you would just ask girls if they write in bed? <laughs> no, that would be like, that would be my like my second line. Be like, hi, how are you? And do you write it? <laughs> Do you write? Yeah, Do you I'm write seeing. I'm seeing the issue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. I'm seeing the I? problem. <laughs> um, the, next, the next was a couple skate after that. Because, because yeah, what if yeah, they right. said if they said yes, you'd try and sell them a pen you didn't have. No, I'd be like, did you want to write you know together, I'm... draw in bed? Oh my god! Do you, you want to go? Oh, wow. Go with me. I would do from Better Off Dead. I'd be like. Um, I skate, you skate, we skate. Uh, maybe we can get together and be a skating team. But none of us were on skates, so that didn't work out either. I was like, uh, so I see the problem there too. That's a much effect, more effective so, pickup line, in my opinion. But do you write in bed? Yeah, I don't write in bed. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You I think just if you're doing a survey, if you're choosing pickup lines from three o'clock high, um, that was probably. One of the main issues in, in, in this movie, 
bombed when it came out. Um, and, and like I said, when the opening, it, it, it's a, it's a cult film. It's definitely gotten a resurgence over the past few years, but, uh, I would, I would reference this movie all the time. And, and like you said, in your books, like you talk about Ferris Bueller, or you talk about 16 candles or breakfast club. Those are the, those are the teen movies that people knew about. They were the most popular at the time and still are. Um, but I'd say three o'clock on, they're like, you're a nerd. Just go away. <laughs> Come, come on. <laughs> well, and 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 we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that that Steven Spielberg, uh, like Phantom, produced this essentially, or you know, ultimately his name was not on it. Um, yeah, that's a fun fact. That more to that, but no but nobody knows that, really. No, I didn't know that. Wow. No, so so um, so you, know, uh, you, you won't Spelling. see you won't see his name anywhere on this movie. No, you won't because because Aaron Spelling owned the rights to the screenplay. And, and, and Aaron Spelling's, uh, Aaron Spelling was going to give it to Universal only if, let Amblin take it only if they didn't put Amblin and Steven Spielberg's name on it because he thought it was going to be this big hit and he wanted to claim all the glory, essentially. Fascinating. That, yep. According to Phil. It doesn't surprise me uh, <laughs> that Aaron would, Aaron Spelling would, you know, want to take full control of that. But Steven Spielberg was was a part of it the entire time, and apparently, after he saw the original cut, he's like, "Wait, I, what happened to the movie? You you made a Martin Scorsese film," <laughs> and Phil Juano's like, "Yeah, I, I wanted to make my version of After Hours set in a high school." Which I, when I first heard that, I was like, "Whoa, it makes total sense because mm-hmm. just Absolutely. the I that's my personal favorite of Scorsese's work as well," and. And it looks, yeah, if you look at the two movies, they are very, just the way that the cinematography is really similar. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, that makes, that makes total, total sense. Uh, rewatching it this time. Um, everything from like the, the kind of like the sped up footage on the long like crane shots and um, the ed- editing wise, it's really like an homage. And I think Spielberg was expecting Karate Kid. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. What happened to Karate Kid? You made a Scorsese film. (laughs) Why do I sound like this? I have no idea. As far as the life lessons, I mean, let's just break down the the quick bullet points of this, of the movie, in the sense that um, once Jerry is challenged to a fight at three o'clock, he is trying to uh, go through all the various ways that he can get out of that fight, um, which include, you know, hiring somebody to take buddy out yeah. planning uh you know planning something in in uh in buddy's locker running away um and all these things robbing he the school ulti- store robbing the school <laughs> store to then you know pay off the hire the guy but then ultimately try and pay off buddy and all these things and he hits this moment where he's you know the whole thing is like i, I don't i don't want to fight i want to get out of the fight i want to get out of the fight eventually he says Buddy, I got, you know, $350. You just take it and the fight's over. And Buddy's like, you are such a pussy. Like, he takes the money and it's just like... I love that scene. You didn't even try. And at that point, the entire movie, like, something just shifts. And the, the whole goal that Jerry's been going towards of getting out of the fight, he's achieved that goal, but now he's just realized at what cost. Like, he has no integrity. He has no pride and like sure he'll be safe and he kind of realizes but you know buddy's right like i should fight him and and that's when things get 
really interesting. Yeah. He says, yeah, you didn't even, you know, you didn't even try. How does that make you feel? And, uh, and you know, what's really interesting when you go back to, he hires the toughest guy in the school. So Vincent, his friend, um, says, I've got a plan. And he pulls a fire alarm so that everybody's outside of the school so that Jerry can go find the tough guy in the school and pay him the money he's stolen from breaking into the school store, <laughs> pay him that money to get him out of the fight. And the guy says, yeah, I played football against him. Or I think he says, he says, I'll, I'll fight him. No big deal. Don't worry. It'll be handled. Guaranteed. You know, when he walks guaranteed, <laughs> guaranteed, you know, when he walks into the library and Buddy's standing, sitting there at the desk, do you know what Buddy's reading? Yeah. Of mice uh, and men. Mice and men. Of mice yeah. and men. <laughs> really great. interesting choice, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so of course, you know, the whole thing unfolds and the tough kid from the school is nowhere near as tough as Buddy Ravel. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that whole, that whole build up to the fight, I think is just phenomenal. And when they keep flashing to the clock, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. It seems trivial and small and little, but just the, the tick, tick, tick of the clock. And every time we see it, he's getting closer and closer and closer to having to make this decision. Mm-hmm. Well, just the the continuity and consistency of this whole movie, it, it it's so tight, and it's so especially for a, not a first time director, but a first time feature film director, you really go, whoa, this guy is super freaking talented. Because um, I don't care if he's if he's borrowing scenes from um, you know after hours or not, like he what he crafted is is really. Everybody solid. borrows everything. I mean, yeah, yeah totally. I totally agree. And you mentioned, I think you mentioned the switchblade in the locker, which was Vincent's, his friend Vincent's idea. Yes. Um, or to put the switch, yeah, with the note. And uh, and of course, Bob Buddy, as he is the entire movie, is one step ahead of them. And yeah. he finds that he finds the note with the switchblade in his car. It says there is no escape. And uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and that's when the Duker finds the Duker, the security the guard. Duker. Says there's no escaping the Duker, when he Duke. uh, mm. when he finds when he finds Jerry with the uh, what do they call it the concealed weapon. Uh, so he just every time he tries to get out of it, it just makes it worse. And and uh, until you you said until the point where he finally is going to pay off Buddy and Buddy takes the money, but says basically like you, you know, you didn't even try. And there's a great lesson in there, obviously about in life. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I, I, mean, I love it's... I love that he throws that out there and clearly like <laughs> the term the term pussy back in the day was 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 thrown around like that was <laughs> you would never say that now obviously but uh, that was such a like well that was the you say, of the what, what do you mean though because you you don't think ki- kids in high school are saying that to each other I don't know if they're saying it. I mean I I, I I bet you they are they are for sure yeah. you think so yeah yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess Absolutely. maybe. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's like we wouldn't say it now because we're not 18. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and they may be saying like, things like poussoir. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the no. lowest of the low back then, though. If you called someone, you know, called, called, called someone that, you were like, oh, man, I got nothing going on for me. And I just love that he, he, gets, he gets that courage up. But of course, What's, what makes it even better is after he punches the locker door and he goes around the corner, after he confronts <laughs> Buddy, punches the locker and goes around the corner, he's like holding, shaking his hand and fights wind, back wind. on, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, th- this movie and uh, the continuity too is so good. Like in the in the film when 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 Buddy uh, confronts Jerry in the in the bathroom and slams him against the bathroom mirror, it, you know, says we're gonna have this fight. He grabs his sweater and then when Jerry leaves the bathroom and goes back to class, he's still got the sweater scrunched up where uh, <laughs> where Buddy had grabbed him. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, yeah. and that's uh, that scene. My favorite part of that entire scene is the kid who is in the bathroom stall, and and we just <laughs> see his feet, and then he's tapping his feet, and then when he realizes Buddy Ravel's out there, he stops tapping his feet, that's... and then his buddy <laughs> basically says, "I'm gonna destroy you." The kid's feet start going up on top of the toilet Creeping lid. Creeping out, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, so smart. Well, before we kind of get into the soundtrack a little bit, and then we talk about what was going on in 1987. Let's talk about some of the life lessons you uh, you you sure. observed, Chris. Yeah, and before just really quickly before we do that, there's one line from the movie. I've got to put a plug in for my stepbrother here because he's a movie guy like us, but he likes the movies like Three O'Clock. I mean, he loves the you know the bigger movies that everybody knows, but we're always quoting movies that other people, unless you really know movies, you miss it. And uh, Three O'Clock High was one of them. And so one of the things that he said is whenever he met new guys that he was going to hang out with, you know, friends growing up and uh, they were in their thirties or whatever. He'd meet somebody and they'd all start talking. He would, if something was going on where the line made sense, he would throw out the line, don't fuck this up, Mitchell. And <laughs> if somebody in the group knew it, they're like, dude, three o'clock high. He's like, that's yes. the guy I want to hang out with. Yeah. So it's a great don't line. Fuck this it? up, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> it can be used in so many ways. And I think I'd probably use yeah. it three or four times a month. I, I think it's an important line for Jerry because at that point, at that moment, that's the realization for Jerry that he is as a, you know, kind of the star Wars thing. He is the only hope. Even yeah. the principal right. doesn't know what to do. And the Duker is knocked out. So this, the right. tough security guard has is done. <laughs> and the principal is telling him this basically as you Obi-Wan, you are, you know, this is it. Like you are our last hope. And, uh, and it's really interesting that I think that's the point where Jerry really wakes up and realizes I gotta, I've got to do something here. Well, no, uh, but you're right. Kill him, sir! Break his face! Rip his head off! Don't fuck this up, Mitchell! No one's gonna help you now, Jerry. It's just you and me. You're right, because because as a high schooler, right, right, Jerry is always looking to the teachers and the principal as the authority and, and the safety. And we're at a point at the end where Buddy Ravel has taken away that element entirely, where he's knocked out everybody. Yeah. So it really just is. Like, it is Jerry and whatever he's going to utilize to get out of the situation at that point. Yep, and yeah, he's the last hope. So when yep. you talked about the lessons for life and for the workplace, one of the ones that really stuck out to me is more for leaders, uh, people who lead a team. And if you've been in the corporate world before, or you're in the business world now, what we all know, and even if you haven't been, you probably have heard, well, you know, people get laid off or fired on Friday at five o'clock, or there's a tough discussion that needs to be had and you need to be in my office at five. They don't say it that way, but if you have a meeting with your boss at five o'clock at the end of the day, you you know more likely this is probably not gonna be the best discussion. And yeah. what this teaches us, what this teaches leaders is if you have to deliver bad news, don't do it at the end of the day. If you've gotta have a tough yeah. discussion, don't do it at the end of the day. Do it in the first thing in the morning, 
when everybody can have a conversation about it. And I think there's yeah. always the fear, well, how is somebody going to take it? But the reality is it makes it so much worse for the person who's that news is being delivered to because they know something's happening. It may not mean they're losing their job, but it maybe they just didn't do something well on a project. Yeah. And you wait yep. until the end of the day. This movie t teaches us a really valuable lesson for leaders about have that conversation early so that everyone can have a discussion about it. Because if you have it at the end of the day, then for the team member, they're, they're, they're Jerry Mitchell. The entire day, they're thinking about this. They're not going to be productive. I mean, look at Jerry. He broke in, robbed the school store that he you know, <laughs> pledged allegiance to, essentially. Yeah. He disappointed his teacher manager, who was look, looked to be one of his very good friends who couldn't believe that somebody would do this. And then the entire day, he didn't study. He didn't he didn't have success in class minus, you know, making out with Mrs. Farmer in front of the entire class for his book report. <laughs> he didn't have the greatest day. And all of it was because three o'clock was the time that was set. And he had seven hours to try to get mm. out of it and think about it. And if you, as a leader, if you don't yeah. think that that's what you're doing to your team member, when you set these meetings at the end of the day, you're not listening because it's exactly what you're doing. And that employee, if you, if they're important to you, realize what you're doing to them, the emotional impact you're having on them. And by the way, they're not going to be productive that day no. because they're just waiting for this moment. I think it's, I think it's a life lesson in general though. Cause I, I, I reflect back to like, uh, when I was a kid and my, I, I was living in Michigan and I flew out to, I, my parents divorced and I moved out to California in 84 and I go back to visit my dad in the winters and summers. Um, and when we, when we land and we're so excited to see my dad and hug my dad and we'd be in the car and, uh, we get to the house and he'd say, why don't you guys unpack, give yourselves a minute and then meet me upstairs in the kitchen. And we always knew that that was when he was going to give us this lecture, you know, and it's, and it's like, why couldn't you just tell us this in the car ride when we, when we were on the way, you know, just get it out of the way, dad, come on. With Yeah, exactly. Same with your kids, you know, wait till, I mean, for me back in, you know, the eighties, wait till your dad gets home type of thing. Yeah. And so you're just going to be a non-productive person, whether you're a child or you're somebody who's part of a team Totally. Uh, or you're an executive below an executive, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're just not going to be productive. And you may try to find ways to get out of that meeting that are going to make everything worse for you. And as yeah. the employee or as the kid, the best thing that you can do is just prepare to face it, prepare to face it and accept it and create whatever it is with Jerry, for example, you know, he tried everything he could to get out of it till he couldn't get out of it. His whole day started off uh, pretty wonky. And Jim Walker provided the song, the opening soundtrack song to the movie. Um, that song perfectly captures that moment so well. And I love that he starts the movie with that song, ends the movie with that song. Um, I mean, th there's so many great lines in the song itself. I, Dustin and I uh, bonded over that song. And I think... Dustin, you were, I think you texted me one day and you're like, this song stuck in my head. And from that text, that's when I reached out to Jim Walker and I'm like, Hey, would you mind if we use your song for the movie or the, for the podcast? He's like, yeah, oh, go really? Yeah. That's how it happened. Yeah. No, it, you were the catalyst. I'm not, I'm oh, not even funny. joking. Yeah. You didn't tell if me we, that. Damn it. If we, if we timestamp, uh, if I'd known that I, my life would be better. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully, <laughs> no, it's good. it no, will that's, from this. That's point. cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, because that song is is you know always in my head. Now it's really always in my head. Um, and in fact, whatever I was editing yesterday using that song, my wife now wants to divorce me because it's so repetitive and I wasn't using headphones. So, <laughs> so 
I love this line in the song where Jim sings. Um, and actually, if you go on his Bandcamp site, it's a JVA JVA Music One dot Bandcamp. Uh, he's got that's the track complicated. On there. Just go to JVA Music <laughs> Yeah, just go to that. Never mind. Go to JVA Music One dot Bandcamp slash Jim Music. I mean, it wasn't that complicated, but just yeah. Just JVA yeah, just music. go to JVA Music yeah dot <laughs> com, and if you go on his site, he's got the song. You can buy the song from him on there. Uh, but he's got the lyrics on there too. And the lyrics are like, you can duck, hide, scramble into the street, and then fall over your fall over your own feet, whine, beg, scream, somebody please, live your life on your knees. All these things come true, some of your nightmares too. Now what you gonna do? Something to remember me by. And I think it's so perfect. It's like he he scrambles through the whole movie trying to get out of this situation. And they're like, how do you want to be remembered though, dude? Do you want to be remembered as the as the kid who chickened out and tried to pay everybody off, or do you want to be the guy who, you know, saved the day at the end and, or not, you know, but like stood up to your demons, like, and I love. Well, that. right, it, and it's just like it doesn't matter what you do; the fight's coming. So yeah, it's gonna come. The, you know, the inevitability's there. So, and when you say yeah, so, when he says the line about you know something to remember me by, you you could take that as Jerry something to remember every the student body is gonna remember Jerry for, or it could be. uh Buddy Ravel speaking to Jerry. There is a poignant, po- there is a, I can never say that word, so I'm going to skip it. And, uh, what were you so, going to say? Now we, now I got to know. Uh, well, I can <laughs> spell it for you and maybe you can say it. Okay. Spell it P O I G N A N T. Poignant. Poignant. For $200. Yeah. See, it is poignant. I could spell it. I couldn't say it. So there you go. Poignant. <laughs> poignant. Yeah. So yeah, that awesome. word there's, so there's this cool moment at the end and, um, yes, I agree. And so yeah, that line could be buddy delivering it to Jerry. As we're getting towards the end of our episode, let's talk about what was happening in 1987 as well. Um, by the way, before I, before I say that coming up, uh, following this episode in two weeks will be our interview with Jim Walker himself, the voice behind something to remember me by, um, it's a great interview, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. He tells some fun stories about the movie, what his whole career, uh, and a really solid, awesome dude. So check that interview out in two weeks. But um, but 1987 is when the movie came out. It was a pretty big year, pop culture-wise. Um, the Simpsons premiered in 1987. On the Tracy Ullman show or, or the actual the actual Simpsons? The actual show. The actual show, okay. The Simpsons, um, because Fox, the Fox Network, premiered in 1987 as well. Prozac, Prozac made its debut in 1987 for all those fans of Prozac out there. Uh, and Beverly Hills Cop Part Two was the top-grossing movie. If you ever do an episode on a 1987 movie um, that is one of my all-time favorites that I will watch, it would be The Lost Boys. If you want to talk about a movie and a soundtrack and everything just oh. being I- iconic, that, de- that definitely takes the cake. Um, yep. It actually wasn't as popular as I remember it being uh, when I was kind of going down the list of top movies. And Jamie Gertz. Jeez, I mean, Jamie Gertz. Wow. And definitely a fan. Some of the top songs back in 87 were Los Lobos La Bamba, which is another great movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. And that actually was a big deal because that was that song was so popular but it wasn't really common for like a non-english song to be in the top 10 uh for during that time i guess 
What do you think? <laughs> I mean, in the U.S. anyways, right? In the U.S. In the U.S. Um, I guess I'm just laughing because that just kind of stalled out in a funny way. Yeah, it did. Sorry. Like, no, no, no. Apologies. It's just. I, <laughs> and one of my one of my favorite albums of that, that year, uh, and we US. will talk about it at some point very soon, uh, was Bruce Hornsby and the Range. His his debut album came out that year, and Mandolin Rain was his big single from that album. Oh. Uh, fun fact: Huey Lewis produced that album. So there you go. Oh, I did not know that. Oh wow, Chris. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. I, I really appreciate you guys giving me the megaphone. Um, this is really fantastic. And, um, and and if people want to order your book and find yeah. you, they can go to chrisclues.com. Yeah, chrisclues.com, C-H-R-I-S-C-L-E-W-S.com. And on social media, you can find me uh, on Facebook at Chris Clues, LinkedIn, Chris Clues. And then Twitter, I was actually lucky enough to get at 80s pop culture. I could not believe Ooh, that that was available nice. at 80s pop culture. I appreciate right it again, on. guys. It's been awesome. We always remember there's no escape from the Duker. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four. Is it five star rating? <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five star rating on iTunes. We really. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.